Today, I'd like to delve deeper um, into maybe some practical steps that we could take towards peacemaking and uh, just some of the lessons learned uh, throughout uh, my, um, I guess it's been about 30 years of, of uh, uh, working as a peacemaker, of being focused on, on, on this. Um, so the world's in conflict. Um, from the beginning of time, Cain and Abel all the way to now, um, looking at the Ukraine and Russia, um, we, you can't turn around and not hear about some sort of conflict. Um, I, I'm gonna talk about a conflict between two particular people groups, but you could probably replace them with two others, or not even people groups, but other groups, and, and somehow there's some conflict that's happening. Um, and um, this is a, a group that I um, have a particular heart for, and. Um, and uh, an area that God's been having me journey through. Um, and that's uh, the countries of Korea and Japan. Um, so if you could uh, show the video, hopefully the audio is working. His name was not always Sungyu Oh, a Korean name. As a child growing up under the Japanese occupation of Korea, he was forced to take the name Hideo Matsuyama, a Japanese name. If he used his Korean name or spoke Korean, he would be beaten. And now I, his son, serve as a missionary among the people he was taught to hate. And there is perhaps good reason, humanly speaking, to hate the Japanese. We talk about the horrors of the Holocaust when Nazi Germany killed six million Jews and 20 million Russians. According to Thomas Chalmers, historian Thomas Chalmers, the Japanese slaughtered as many as 30 million Filipinos, Vietnamese, Cambodians, Indonesians, Koreans, and Chinese. There was a Holocaust in Asia, but no one seems to have noticed. Imperial Japanese scientists tested chemical and biological weapons such as uh, bubonic plague and anthrax on human victims. Women were impregnated by soldiers and doctors, their bellies sliced open, their babies removed and then tested upon, leading to their death. Nazi scientists who visited Japanese medical experimentation facilities vomited from the horror of what they saw. 200,000 Korean women and girls as young as 12 years old were forced to be sex slaves of the Japanese Imperial Army, subject to rape upwards of 100 times per day. They are known today euphemistically as the comfort women. Uh, by the way, all of these uh, pictures uh, were taken by Japanese soldiers as souvenirs. That uh, Michael O. Um who is now the president and CEO of the Lausanne uh, Conference, uh, gave back in 2008 at a, um, at a chapel at Wheaton College. Um, Michael's been on this journey of reconciliation. Um, he and I happen to be the same age. Uh, we happened to go to Japan for the first time um, at this, the same year. And um, uh, really funnily enough, um, he and my dad used to volunteer together in Korea. Um, in a uh, club where they served um, uh, the poor in the countryside. So um, God's taken us both on uh, different journeys. He had a very much higher level than me, and me maybe a little bit more on the, um, 
on a different level, but um, you know, peacemaking. Let, um, if we can go to slide three, it's easy, really easy to get overwhelmed. Um, I know I was when God called me into a ministry of reconciliation between Korea and Japan. Uh, I didn't understand this history. I didn't know about the history. Um, and it wasn't until I did that I, I began to just slowly begin to understand why there's so much anger in the Korean community about what happened, let alone other communities, Asian communities. Um, and then all of a, and a few years into this journey, um, about 20 years into the journey, God decides to throw China in the mix. So God tells me, you need to work on reconciliation of Japan, China, and Korea. And um, so how does one person tackle such a large problem, right? Um, I, how, how am I supposed to approach this? And, and so I wrestled with God a lot on this, lots of time in prayer, lots of time in thinking, lots of time in just listening. And uh, next slide, please. Um, and what God uh, shared with me was that it, it really is uh, two answers, two parts, two roles. Um, the first is that we, we start with a small but very difficult step, which is forgiveness. Um, sounds easier than it is. Um, but it is the first step that we take. And then the next part is God does the heavy lifting and he reconciles and, and he redeems. Um, of course, that doesn't mean we sit on our hands and once we forgive, we don't have to do anything. As Vanessa and Katie um, clearly mentioned, we are given the opportunity to partner with God in the reconciliation and the, and the redemption. So we, we get to be a part of that. Um, so next slide, please. So forgiveness. Um, as many of you know, I spent some time with an organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. And um, when I first went there in 2005, I did something called a discipleship training school. And I happened to do one that was focused on um, the country of Japan. And so our whole school was geared towards uh, sending an outreach team to Japan. And it was during that time that I, um, I heard a story um, that had happened on campus. Uh, so every Thursday, uh, the University of Nations, where we do our training, has a gathering called the Ohana Gathering. As many of you know, Ohana means family. And um, there was a time of worship, and there was a movement of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, a group of Japanese um, sorry, <clears throat> they went to the leadership and they asked them if they could speak. And the Japanese worshipers went up to the front and they addressed their Korean brothers and sisters and they asked for their forgiveness, for the atrocities that the Japanese had committed um, on the Koreans during the occupation. <clears throat> and the Koreans answered no. 
was Charles Spurgeon, the famous uh, Baptist uh, preacher, asked, suppose that someone has grievously offended any one of you and that he has asked your forgiveness, do you not think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but I, I, I cannot forget it. Ah, dear friends, that is a sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It is a lame forgiveness. It is not worth much. Even so, God turns that lame forgiveness and does the impossible. He moves it, sometimes painfully slowly, towards reconciliation and redemption. Can we get the next slide, please? So once we forgive, our next step is to start this process of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians, God gives us a blueprint for that process. Let's take a look at a few key points of the, uh, of the verses there. So if you look at this uh, verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, Katie covered it last week. Um, let's just look at a few of the key points. Um, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. No longer a finite sacrifice, but an ultimate sacrifice. So no longer the you know, annual going to the priest, having to do the animal sacrifices, right? Christ, Christ was sacrificed for us um, so that no sacrifice was no longer needed. And then the next part of the verse is not counting their trespasses against them. If you think about it, if anyone has a right not to reconcile, it would be God, right? We think about how his, we, his creation, have offended him over and over again, how we personally have done that over and over again. And yet he says in these verses that he doesn't count our trespasses against us because of the supernatural act that Christ's death on the cross and because of that, we're reconciled to him, and he no longer counts these trespasses against us. And so through that, he then entrusts to us this message of reconciliation. So not only do we get to receive the reconciliation, but we also get to be messengers of that message of reconciliation. So let's talk about Kona again. Um, apparently what happened after the Koreans said no that evening, um, the story didn't end there. Uh, the Koreans ultimately forgave the Japanese after weeks of prayer and processing, and the group entered into that process of reconciliation. Um, it did not end with forgiveness with one leg chopped off. You know, when I first uh, heard the story, I was so angry at the Koreans, right? How hard must it have been for the Japanese to ask for forgiveness? How easily it could be for them to say, we didn't do it, our government did it. We didn't do it, our ancestors do it, did it. But they didn't say that, they owned it. And yet the Koreans didn't forgive them. But the more I thought about it, the more I admired this group of Koreans for what they did. I think if they had said yes that night, it might not have been a true forgiveness. They might not have been, they might have felt pressure to say yes that night in front of a group of people. But they were being real with themselves and with God and with 
everyone around them. And I believe that because of that, that's why they were ultimately able to really truly reach forgiveness and then truly start that reconciliation process. So um, if we can go to the next slide. So the next piece that God then does with reconciliation is he moves us into a time of redemption and restoration. So if we go back to Vanessa's definition, it's not just about reconciliation, but it's also about leading to a flourishing. And so um, Mark Roberts, who writes a daily devotion for the Dupree Center at Fuller, uh, he, he did a devotion about Isaiah 2.4. And it was uh, the, the verse, uh, as many of you know, is, is the verse about turning, uh, so, what is it, swords into plowshares and basically turning weapons of war into weapons of farming. And uh, Mark makes, makes two very interesting points um, with that verse. Uh, he says that the first thing is, we do this as a response to God's teaching and judgment. We do this as a response to what God tells us. But it doesn't end there. The implication of the passage is that it's not just that we then stop war, but we actually devote our time towards something that's productive and fruitful. So the reason why people turn their weapons of war into tools for farming isn't just because they don't need the weapons anymore for war. But it's that God's actually teaching us, we then take it to the next level and we actually use it for something productive. We actually use it for the flourishing of those around us. So next slide, please. So what does a reconciled world look like? Um, I love this image. Um, this image is based on a passage in Isaiah. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We can go to the next slide. Um, so what is biblical peace then? What, is, what does it look like? Philosopher Cornelius Plantinga explains that um, when scripture talks about shalom, it's a webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. Ultimately, shalom, the way things ought to be, is found in Jesus Christ, who is our peace and who makes peace through the cross. So those are the three steps that we take towards reconciliation. And um, I, I thought I would end with just some lessons learned that I've had um, in my journey uh, these last 30 years with reconciliation. Um, if we could, oh, yep, next slide is great. So the first is peacemaking uh, reconciliation happens person to person, not nation to nation. So one of the things I've learned is that um, as I've studied uh, Korea and Japan, uh, Koreans argue that the Japanese have never apologized for uh, what happened uh, during the occupation. 
But if you dig into it a little bit deeper, you, uh, you find out actually that the Japanese government paid reparations uh, to the Koreans and that a prime minister has apologized. But then a new prime minister will come in and rescind the apology. And so, and textbooks will be changed so that they don't really talk about what happened during the occupation. So when you're looking at reconciliation between governments, if the head of the government can change, the reconciliation can disappear like that. So when I uh, was 21 years old, I had just graduated from college and God had sent me to Japan, um, you know, I showed up to this church in uh, Sapporo, Japan. And the first day I get there, the secretary tells me that the pastor wants to see me. So I go up and I'm this young 20-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid, just having graduated from college. And this pastor comes up to me, he looks at me and he says, I hear you're of Korean descent. And I said, yes, I am. And this is in 1993. He says to me, Peter, Peter-san, <laughs> I want to apologize for what the Japanese did. Through this one act and very few words, Pastor Takamoto set me, a young 21-year-old, on a 30-year journey of reconciliation. So reconciliation happens person to person. The next lesson I learned is it's good to gather under a common cause. Maybe that's not reconciliation focused. I'll give you an example of this. I, I led an outreach team to a um, city in Japan called Asahikawa. It's in the northern part of Japan. And I just happened to be leading a team of Koreans. And um, the way YWAM works is we do something called the lecture phase, which is three months of training. And then we do two months of outreach. And so during the three months of training, I received this team. And I will tell you, more than half of them did not want to go to Japan. The tsunami and earthquake had just happened in Tohoku. And so Korean news was all about the radiation. Um, and so they said that all their families were pleading with them, don't go to Japan, don't go to Japan. And also quite a few of them also did not want to go because of uh, the Japanese occupation. And uh, they told me this, you know, and yet for whatever reason, they went. And you know what ended up happening is that Japanese church loved on the team more than you could ever imagine. Uh, you guys, those of you who have had interaction with Japanese know just this amazing culture of giving that they have layer on top of that Christianity and God and you know, all of that. And you could imagine how much they loved our team. They loved our team's children. They just embraced them. And the Koreans responded eventually. And ultimately, we were united under the common goal of what the church liked to call the One Lost Sheep campaign. So you know, for us, we hear the story of the One Lost Sheep. And in America, it's hard to kind of fully understand that. I think we conceptually understand it, but in Japan, because less than 1% of Japanese are Christian, when they talk about the one, they're really talking about the one. So this whole church had this camp, the church had a campaign of just seeking out the one. 
and uh, our team members gathered around that and had this amazing time together of just doing outreach in, in Japan. And I'll tell you, at the end of the two months, when we were getting on the train to leave, everyone was crying. Everyone was, you know, saying, we don't want to leave. We don't want you to go. And later on, I found out, you know, several of them, several of my team members came to Japan to visit. Several of the Japanese church members went to Korea to visit. They went to each other's weddings, and they've had lifelong friendships. So the third uh, lesson that I learned is that we work towards peace, but we also work towards productive work. So this whole idea that not only do we turn the swords into plowshares, but we actually use those plowshares. Um, when I was with an organization called Humanity United, we did peacemaking work in, in the country of Liberia. And in Liberia, uh, we had three theories that we entered into um, in the work that we did. The first is we wanted to reduce corruption. Um, the theory being that if you have that, a system in place that's trustworthy, there's less likelihood that you'll revert back into war. The second is you reestablish the infrastructure. So I don't know if you've heard of the broken window theory, but there's less likelihood that, a, um, that things will revert to the way they were if, if uh, you keep fixing the broken windows, right? And make it you know, more pristine. And then the third was job development. And so we truly believe that creating jobs was a way for people to stay out of war. So the more you're you know, employed, the more you have your needs met, there's just less chance of conflict in the future. So um, the fourth reason um, is to remember the why. So I, um, I grew up a classic liberal. Uh, rooted in Matthew 25. I um, was mentored by Thurgood Marshall Jr. I fought for immigrants' rights with Senator Ted Kennedy. I prosecuted prisoners' civil rights violations and police misconduct through with the Department of Justice. I protected the elderly with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, provided health care to low-income families through Medi-Cal with a health plan helped to fund initiatives to get health care uh, to the uninsured, and then ultimately worked in peacemaking and freedom initiatives, uh, working with the UN, International Criminal Court, and various NGOs. I set my whole life and my career towards ending uh, poverty, towards social justice. And throughout my time there, there were many um, wins, but there were a lot of defeats. And what I found that my passion against injustice was just not enough. I found myself getting angry and getting burnt out. And believe it or not, the peacemaking social justice became an idol for me. And I forgot the why. And then finally, we do the possible and let God do the impossible, right? God has to be in it. So what I found was um, I had an opportunity to go to Cape Town, South Africa with Humanity United. And we gathered and we met with the Desmond Tutu Peace Center. And um, here we were gathered with a bunch of peacemakers from all throughout Africa and the world. And we uh, were talking about how can we make the world a peaceful place? And everyone looks at Cape Town and they all say, wow, that's, 
you know, Cape Town is where they were really able to solve things. You know, after apartheid, they were able to bring it back. They did the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They didn't punish the people who came up as witnesses. And they said, yes, that's the, what, that's the model that we should use in order to seek peace. And yet, when you walk through the streets of Cape Town, you feel the tension. It's palpable. You feel the tensions between the black and the whites. You feel the tensions actually between the blacks and the blacks, the ones who have and the ones who do not have. And so what I found again is if God isn't in it, it's never going to work. It's going to be finite. So only with God is reconciliation eternal. So if we can just do the next slide. Um, Tom, if you could come up and just play a little bit of um, music for us. What I wanted to do, I, I'm sure many of you have seen these paintings kind of floating around online. Um, I'm just going to ask that for about a minute or so, you reflect on these pictures. And maybe, maybe the person who's getting their, wash, their feet washed isn't who you need to make peace with. Uh, maybe they are. Um, but my question to you that I ask that you reflect and meditate on just, just for about 30 seconds or a minute is, who do you have to make peace with? You could just uh, kind of pray and meditate on that. That'd be great. And then I'll just uh, end us with uh, closing prayer. Thank you, Laura, that you give us opportunities to make peace every day. Father, that you don't give up on us, but you invite us into this process of reconciliation and peacemaking every day and every moment. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on us. Thank you, Lord, that we can see hope in the end of all of this conflict. So, Father, we just ask that as we go into this next week that if there's anyone we need to make peace with today, uh, be it a particular person or a group or, or whoever it may be, Father God, that we take that first step of forgiveness so that we can journey with you in that next step of reconciliation and of restoration. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.